Hello, and welcome to MedTech Monthly from MedTech Insight. I'm editor Reed Miller. And for this podcast, we decided to do something a little different than usual. We noticed that there is just a ton of news and activity in diabetes technology lately, with a lot of moving parts, and it's easy to get confused about what is what. So we decided to just have a conversation about it, and we hope this will help listeners get the lay of the land about this very dynamic medtech space. So our UK-based reporter, Barnaby Pickering, has been covering this space for a while and has talked to a lot of different people involved in developing glucose monitoring and insulin delivery technology. So there really is nobody better to help us sort all of this out. So to get started, let's start with some basic facts. Diabetes is formerly known as diabetes mellitus. It is a set of chronic endocrine disorders that leads to abnormal blood sugar levels and or insufficient insulin to regulate blood sugar. About 10 or 11% of adults in the U.S., for example, have it. But according to the World Health Organization, the prevalence is growing faster outside of the richest countries and the mortality rate has actually been getting worse. Uh, it's either caused by the pancreas not producing enough insulin or the cells of the body not responding properly to the insulin that is produced, and both hyperglycemia and hypoglycemia can cause all kinds of problems, cardiovascular disease, kidney failure, diabetic retinopathy, neuropathy, ulcers, neurological problems, etc. all things that we have covered separately. So people with diabetes need to be able to monitor their blood sugars fairly precisely in real time and then possibly inject insulin to help regulate that. So that's where MedTech comes in. So I'll let Barnaby take over the story from there, starting, Barnaby, with just an explanation of how diabetes is segmented into type 1 and, and type 2. So can you start with that? Hi, Reid. There are two types of diabetes, like you said, type 1, type 2. Type 1 diabetes is typically diagnosed close or at birth, typically with a blood test done in hospital and babies. And then type 2 diabetes can develop at any point in a patient's life, normally after adulthood, however. It's quite rare that children develop type 2 diabetes. Type 1 is definitely more serious. Adults that end up being diagnosed with type 1 later in life, this can happen after a coma. You know, they, they, they don't wake up one morning and their family comes and finds them barely breathing and then they realise that they have diabetes. Type 2 diabetes isn't that serious for the most part. Early type 2 diabetes has barely any long-term side effects, particularly if it's fairly well regulated, which in a lot of people it is. However, like you were saying, if not managed correctly, there is a slew of negative effects that build up over years. Some of the worst are the ulcers. Um, diabetic foot ulcers are wounds that are fairly common in diabetics, unfortunately, particularly as they get older. Um, and they just don't heal. They're prone to infection. They don't heal, like I said. And they limit a patient's mobility, which makes making the correct decisions that type 2 diabetic needs to make, like eating healthily and exercising, all the harder. Can you explain kind of the difference in the types of devices that we're talking about, specifically uh, continuous glucose monitoring, closed loop systems, insulin delivery, that kind of thing? Sure. I think the best way to break down medical devices for diabetics is things that measure blood glucose and things that deliver insulin. On the first front, you have blood glucose meters and continuous glucose meters. I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with blood glucose meters. Um, it's a small sort of smartphone sized device. A patient pricks their finger, places a drop of blood on a testing strip and within a matter of seconds, they get a reading. And they might want to do this, you know, up to 10 or even 20 times a day, just to keep a track on their blood glucose levels and then dose insulin. Then you have continuous glucose monitors, which are a somewhat newer technology. They are just over two decades old now, and they are body-worn patches. Um, I think the first one was produced by Medtronic, um, but now there are a slew of competitors in the space. And what they do is they adhere to the body and make an inference of blood glucose levels based on the amount of glucose found in interstitial fluid, which is the fluid found kind of underneath the surface of your skin. Then moving over to the insulin delivery technologies, I think the most basic medical device is simply an injector. 
you have a, yeah, a tube of insulin. You can decide how much you want to inject. That very, very simple device. They've been around for, you know, for half a century now. Then you have pumps. Pumps are automatic devices. So you will tell the pump exactly how much insulin you need, and then it will meter out that amount for you. These are really convenient for diabetics because they're mostly body-worn and they can be used throughout the day. You can just use your smartphone, type in a number, and it will deliver the correct amount of insulin for you. Equally, it can hold up to a week's worth of insulin at once, making them a lot more convenient for long-term use. Okay, so Barno, can you talk about who the main players in CGM are and of how they compete with each other? Sure. So Abbott Laboratories, Roche, Tandem Diabetes Care, Dexcom Inc., Sensionics, and Medtronic are all involved in the CGM space. And fundamentally, they are all I'm gunning for the same thing, which is a small body-worn device that provides the most accurate or gold standard blood glucose measurement. Now, this issue, or well, this phrase gold standard is becoming a bit of a sticky issue amongst the marketplace right now, because a lot of the best CGMs are very, very similar in their performance. Between Dexcom's G7 and Abbott's Freestyle Libra 3, which are the two kind of flagship CGMs coming to market. I think there's a 0.2 or 0.3% difference in their accuracy. In terms of day-to-day use, that makes no difference to diabetics. Sure, they might want the confidence of having those extra you know, points of a percentage, but it doesn't make any actual difference to their um, time in range, which is you know, the time for which their blood glucose levels are in an optimal range. And that's like a key benchmark for health. Aside from competing on measurement quality, they are all competing on kind of the usability, how nice the device is to use. Size, cost, user interface with smartphone apps are all major factors that these device manufacturers are considering. And it's it's a real shift because unlike many other medical devices, they are consumer devices now. These are things that are used by adults. They are used by children and they need to be very, very easy to use to do well, to sell pretty much. And this is the approach that, you know, the leading companies, Abbott and Dexcom, are taking. An interesting dynamic in this space. And we've noticed this, that as a lot more devices become sort of consumer facing and companies are trying to have a name and a reputation among consumers, that diabetes is a vanguard of that movement for all the reasons you said. Okay, so moving on from CGM specifically, just talking about the pumps, who's involved in that? And then and you can talk about how that kind of integrates with the pumps. So Medtronic, Roche, Tandem Diabetes, Insulet Corporation and Ipsamed are all kind of the, the largest um, players in the pump market, the insulin pump market. Now, insulin pumps are really, really expensive bits of kit. They range from several thousand dollars all the way up to about 10,000 for like the top spec pumps. And fundamentally, all they do is provide a really, really precise amount of insulin to the body. Now, between pumps, the actual difference in accuracy of insulin dosage is very, very small. So again, much like with the CGM space, manufacturers are trying to compete on alternate factors. Price is a really, really big one. Lots of manufacturers are trying to lower the cost of their pumps. Profile is also a major consideration because most pumps are still fairly bulky, you know, about the size of a computer mouse. And if you think about wearing one of those on your abdomen day in, day out, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's certainly not convenient. And this is where kind of tubeless technologies are coming in. So I spoke to a company called Indigo Diabetes, must have been about a year ago now. And they're a European company. And what they've developed is a insulin pump that doesn't feature a syringe. Now, if you think about what a syringe is, the kind of syringe that you use to you know, um, inject a vaccine, for example, prior to the plunger being pushed, that plunger is sticking out the back. That's dead space. 
in an insulin pump. Once the insulin is delivered, this plunger is fully retracted inside. Now, what they've developed is a insulin pump that doesn't have a syringe back. It just uses microfluidics. And I think that this sort of technology may take off amongst the other larger players, because if they can't compete on price, if they can't compete on performance, they're going to have to compete on usability and how it looks. Because again, much like the CGM space, it has to become a consumer technology to permeate the market effectively. I think it's really important that readers know, or listeners in this case know, that the ideal diabetic patient is something that has changed quite frequently in recent years. We used to think that as long as you had a blood glucose level, you know, kind of below 10%, that was good. You, you would manage your diabetes. However, this got whittled down, you know, first to 9%, then 8%. And now it's around about 7%. But the big one that people are really focusing on right now is time in range. So in the past, if a diabetic dropped quite low in blood sugar levels, you know, not to the point where they collapse, but to the point where they are hypoglycemic, that really wasn't viewed as that bad for them. However, the long term implications of hypoglycemia, although not as bad as hyperglycemia, are still quite bad. So now manufacturers are really focusing on time in range, which is the proportion of time during a day, which a patient's blood glucose levels are within their optimal range. And I think that that's where manufacturers will then start kind of trying to push the envelope because with CGMs, they're as accurate as they're going to get. Inferring blood glucose level from interstitial fluid level is very, very difficult. There will come a point where you can't really go much further. And then equally with insulin pumps, if you deliver the correct dose when it's asked for, that's it. You're done in terms of an insulin pump. It's how the technology is used that I think manufacturers will focus on in the future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And then just talk about these pens. How is that different than a pump? And where does that fit in either in the market and also into which patients want to use a device like that? Pens, like I said before, they've been around forever. Initially, they started off syringes and now they're enclosed devices that are easy to use. In terms of the main players, they're mostly drug companies. Um, They just package up their insulin, stick it in a pen. But these devices, despite not being smart or tech enabled, are hugely important for the treatment of diabetes because most people don't need an insulin pump. Most people don't even really need CGM particularly type 2 diabetics, giving the diabetics the insulin that they need in an easy to administer way, that's it. That is the foundation of any treatment. I think one thing that does really stand out in the pen space, though, um, well, one company that stands out is Bigfoot Biomedical. I recently spoke to them and their CEO was explaining that because manufacturers are paying so much attention to their CGMs, to their insulin pumps, there are loads and loads of diabetics, you know, type 2 diabetics whose condition isn't very severe, who are left in the cold in terms of PEC. And what Bigfoot have done is they've attached little caps to insulin pens, and they're smart enabled, and they connect to a CGM. And it's almost like creating a closed loop system where instead of relying on another machine to deliver the dose, it relies on a patient to deliver a dose. And what this means is, is that it's very easy to get regulatory approval because it's not actually delivering the treatment. It is just recommending a number, which means that many more type 2 diabetics are getting included in this improved therapy space. Talk about how all these things fit together. As long as I've been doing med tech, I've been hearing about closed loop systems and a quote artificial pancreas. How can these things connect and kind of what are the barriers and some of the issues to making that happen, making this easier for patients? I kind of touched on it, but I think the prime example of devices coming together is the interconnection between a CGM and an insulin pump. So 
a patient wears a CGM and their blood glucose levels are recorded. And when insulin is needed, the CGM can send a signal to the insulin pump recommending the amount of insulin needed. And then the pump can inject the insulin. Without human interaction, if that could work completely by itself, that is the closest that you'll get to an artificial pancreas for many, many decades. We're not going to have an implanted system for a long, long time. And we would call that a closed loop system. However, where these pairings are at right now is a kind of hybrid system. So just going back to Bigfoot Biomedical, that would be a truly human in the loop system. The human has got to administer their therapy. A hybrid closed loop system like um, Medtronic 780G, their upcoming insulin pump, has the pump deliver the insulin that's needed. It has the CGM do the measurements. However, patients have got to provide calibration measurements. They've got to, I think, confirm their insulin doses every day or so, make sure that they're you know, giving the right dose. And I believe that on the 780G, patients still may need to take bolus doses if they're eating a meal that isn't very diabetes friendly, you know, like um, a sugary fizzy drink alongside a pizza, two massive sources of glucose. These devices, when they come together, they really do work. Medtronic for the past two years have been presenting data at various conferences, like the American Diabetes Association's yearly conference, showing off their pairing of their 780G with their CGM technology. Yeah, it's truly effective for patients. Time and range goes through the roof. Hypo and hyperglycemic events are all but eliminated. But it all comes down to cost. And these technologies are incredibly expensive. And they're incredibly expensive for kind of two reasons. The first is the engineering behind it. You've got to develop a sensor that can very accurately measure blood glucose from interstitial fluid for two weeks at a time, which is quite hard because electronics degrade, particularly when they're in wet situations like that. Then you've got to develop a pump that administers insulin down to kind of micrometer precision. Developing these devices is expensive. As soon as you stick them together, the regulatory hurdles become so much higher. When you've got two separate systems, one doing the measurement, one doing the delivery, they each have very clearly defined regulatory implications. A CGM is just providing a measurement. There's no recommendation on therapy. So it's a simple diagnostic. An insulin pump just needs to, like I was saying before, deliver the correct amount. It's just got to be as accurate as you specify it to be. However, as soon as you bring one to the other and you're using the CGM to infer dose, which is then delivered by the insulin pump, tiny errors can cause big problems. And this is why bodies like the US Food and Drug Administration, when they are studying these kind of pairings, the amount of scrutiny that they go through is more than many other devices that I've seen. And as a result, the costs and time frame to market explode. Talking about the cost, talking about it from the perspective of the end user or third party payer that's reimbursing it and some of the issues that people are facing with that in terms of how is that going to impact who can actually get these devices? Sure. So diabetes is quite an expensive condition to treat, particularly in the States because of the cost of things like insulin. However, it makes most sense to go back to the CGM and pump division. In the CGM space, the two main leaders are Dexcom and Abbott. Now, Dexcom charge a premium for their devices. I think it's around about $300 a month, whereas Abbott, I think, comes at between half and two thirds of that. So obviously, a lot of patients are going to veer towards using Abbott's devices because they're cheaper. However, 
companies like Dexcom are relying on improved user interface, you know, improved functionalities to justify this extra money each month. Moving over to the pump space, they're all expensive. They're all very, very expensive. I think that Medtronic 780G, people are saying it's going to cost well over $10,000 a year to use because as well as you know, providing the pump, you've got to provide the insulin, you've then got to provide the CEM. The big argument that manufacturers are making at the moment is, is that the upfront cost of these devices doesn't really matter because they save money in the long run. Both Abbott and Dexcom and CG GM space have done extensive amounts of research proving that patients that effectively monitor their blood glucose levels avoid hyper and hypoglycemic events, avoid hospital emissions, and avoid long-term complications of the disease. Diabetic ulcers, the things that I mentioned earlier, they cost a fortune to treat because they don't heal. Um, they require extensive wound care, which is not cheap to deliver. And then in the pump space, by providing the correct insulin, you again avoid hypo and hypoglycemic events and improve people's quality of life. And manufacturers like Medtronic say that the cost is worthwhile. I think the big thing that we will see in the space is a push towards increased reimbursement for type 2 diabetics. Right now, if you are a kind of middling type 2 diabetic, payers are going to be quite unwilling to spend you know, $10,000 a year on an insulin pump or top spec CGM and extended drug therapy for you. However, as manufacturers conduct more research and provide more proof to payers that money will be saved. I think we'll see reimbursement increase. I mean, in countries or, or places where they just don't have a lot of money, whether it saves money or not, how can those patients access this? Are companies able to give them a cheaper version? I think in, in, in developing nations, things like tech-enabled insulin pens are going to become cheaper. As people in the West start using these more upmarket devices, the manufacturers of these quote-unquote legacy systems are going to have to expand their markets if they want to keep on making money. So they will eventually lower the price and selling them in developing nations. But there have been some efforts by leading manufacturers to produce cheaper devices. I think the best example is Dexcom. Now, Dexcom's G6 and G7 are really, really expensive. However, they launched what they called the Dexcom 1. And I think it's mostly sold in Eastern Europe. So I spoke to Dexcom's executive vice president for global marketing and product management, Chad Patterson, about the Dexcom one a couple of months ago. And I think he's moved on from the company now. But he basically explained that the whole purpose of the Dexcom one is to offer a kind of cheaper system for patients, which may sound noble. However, I asked him a few more questions about kind of what actually is the Dexcom one, because I felt that it was unlikely that Dexcom would develop a whole new chip, a whole new sensor, and then sell that for less money in a developing market. And it turns out that it is essentially a Dexcom G6. And electronically, it is exactly the same. However, the company stripped a couple of features off from it. The first one is a following function, which is where patients could allow their friends and family to track their blood glucose levels from their own smartphones. And patient testimonies has spoken quite highly of this. There have been examples of people's lives being saved where, you know, they've been out exercising, they've had a low blood glucose crash and, you know, their family has come and found them. There was one particular feature that got removed that I found was a real sticking point, and it was an alarm. So it's called urgent low soon. And what that does is it provides a 60-minute warning for when a patient's blood glucose levels are going to enter dangerous hypoglycemia. Patterson explained that for the most part, the Dexcom 1 has the same accuracy and same medical utility as the Dexcom G6, but has been designed for poor nations. 
Well, that's obviously a dynamic that I know you're paying attention to. Okay, so it's kind of where we are now. So let's talk about what technologies are, are coming up. Um, I know you meant, for example, you mentioned Medtronic's long-awaited new system. So talk about sort of what what the near-term changes are going to be, and then further out if there's any uh, big things on the horizon. I think in the near term we're going to see more of this kind of closing the loop. We're going to see less and less patient interaction in their disease, and more and more device control which is great. Hands-off treatment is always preferable for patients. I think insulin delivery technology itself won't change that much. You might have uh, kind of skin permeable insulin, but those are most kind of drug formulations. The biggest upcoming technology that I'm really excited for is non-invasive blood glucose measurement. Now, when you listen to continuous glucose monitor manufacturers, they'll always say that their methods are non-invasive, but they're not really. They use microneedles. They're a little bit prickly. They can be uncomfortable. However, there are quite a lot of companies working on truly non-invasive technologies of measuring blood glucose. Some use infrared radiation, some use radio waves. But the key thing is, is that there are no needles. It's just relying on energies, sending out a wavelength of light and measuring what is bounced back to infer blood glucose levels. I think the really interesting thing about that is, is that it could be built into consumer devices very, very easily. The Apple Watch would be a perfect candidate for that. They can already do um, ECG. It would expand it to everyone having this technology in wearable devices. It means that anyone at any time would be able to measure their blood glucose levels and take more control of their health, which I think particularly in the case of diabetes and obesity, which are heavily associated, Giving patients control and enabling them to make better decisions is going to be key going forward. And that just kind of brings us all the way back around to what we were saying at the beginning, how this is a fascinating area of med tech because it's the one area where patients are very specifically engaged with the technologies themselves and with the companies that make them and have opinions about that. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? I think I'd just like to stress to readers that it is such a rapidly changing market. The technologies that are coming over the horizon will they'll obviously make quite a lot of money for the companies producing them, but they really will enable patients to manage their condition in a more effective and safer way. All right. Well, that's good. OK, well, we'll stop there. We've talked quite a bit. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. You can read all of our coverage of diabetes tech and a whole lot more at medtechinsight.com. Also there, you'll find our library of in-depth market reports, including reports on insulin pumps and blood glucose monitoring. That's at the meddevicetracker.com site, which you can link to from Medtech Insight. You can also find all our other podcasts, including the podcast from our Sightline sister publications like Script and HBW and Pink Sheet that cover different markets. Just look at the link at the top of our page that says podcast. All right. Thanks and have a great fall.